Welcome to another edition of Unplugged. We could get used to this. Five wins in a row now, first time since 2011 when we won six in a row and a bit of a late season surge uh, that particular year. But uh, continuing to feel better and better and develop a little bit more trust, I think the majority of us remain always cautiously nervous. And I think we all felt that way leading up to the Giants game. And we certainly feel that way, I think, whenever we play Port Adelaide and whenever we play games at, in inverted commas, random venues like Cairns, uh, they always make you uh, a touch nervous. But uh, the side going nicely and, and putting all of the blocks in place, a really, really impressive win last Friday night against a team that, you know, it doesn't appear to be much good and a side that's clearly got its problems. Uh, there's a lot of talent there that we spoke about and that talent can be dangerous. We saw a lot of them, you know, Toby Green had his moments. Cal Ward was was good. Obviously, Canelio and various others did bits and pieces. But it was a game we were expected to win, but a lot of things went wrong. We missed easy shots at goal. We lost both of our Ruckman. We had to dig deep and come from behind again. And it was a win full of merit and full of resilience and one that I was certainly most proud of uh, in the aftermath of that game. And I'm sure uh, the majority of Saints fans were the same. It, it, it really did show some character in a team that was up for the fight and they need to be again this week. Uh, Nick, uh, I know uh, both you and H by chance happen to be on holiday in roughly the same spot, but you were uh, taking in the uh, taking in the contest and we were all, you know, exchanging in our various message groups. But yeah, that was a that was a very very meritorious victory. It was, and yeah, H, you and I are about a kilometre apart on vacation, and somehow couldn't get around to watching the game together. But it look, it was. In, you you said it, Parker. It was in terms of the pride of a, a win like that. I, I haven't felt like that after a win for for quite a while. I think probably the the GWS game, uh, the final game of twenty twenty, and then obviously the Bulldogs win uh, was a different type of win. But we, we spoke about this game last week and, and you know, yes, the Giants aren't going all that well. Um, we know that they were one and four uh, at, at that point heading into the game. We, we know that it was a, a, a worry game for us. Um, it, it was a bit of a trap game for us. But those are the types of games that if we're legitimate, if we want to be playing finals footy, we've got to be winning those games. We can't let games like uh, the Giants, we can't we can't be dropping those games, and and for a while it certainly looked like um, that was a, a possibility. Uh, certainly a, a danger game. Uh, we certainly weren't at our best in terms of the type of footy that, that we're trying to play and that we want to play. Uh, but what was what was super impressive was that every time the Giants pushed, um, we, we had we had an answer, uh, and and we were able to to kind of fight against the odds. We were able to push through all the issues that we faced, um, be it injury and personnel and, and all those sorts of things or um, umpiring and, and some of those decisions. And, and we were able to fight through and, and find a way to win. And, and that's the really impressive thing about our, our first six weeks is that all of our, our wins so far seem to have, have come in different ways. And, you know, the, the, the Hawthorne game was a relatively easy game. We played fantastic football for, for nigh on four quarters the Richmond game also kind of had these withering bursts of offensive and defensive football. Uh, Fremantle was was a bit of a grind, and, and we probably got away with one that that potentially, you know, over the course of the four quarters, we probably didn't deserve, but uh, we got away with it and found a way to, to do it. Um, and to, to just fight through adversity and, and to grind out a win where, you know, in previous years, that's a game that we would have lost ultimately, you know, by five or six goals. Um 
you know, dropped the bundle as soon as they started pressing and they pressed hard in that final quarter. They pressed really hard. Um, and, and we were just able to fight through it and, and will our way to a win. It was tough. It was hard fought. Um, it wasn't based on individual brilliance. Um, it was just, you know, a real grind, but they found a way and, and they found a will. And, um, yeah, it was, was super impressive. And the pleasing part was, I mean, we're undermanned. We, we missed four goals from within 20 metres. They got a goal from a, a dodgy 50 and a dodgy free kick in the last quarter, the one against Patton for holding the ball. So on the balance of things, factoring in all of that, we probably should have won the game by upwards of six goals, even with all of those things considered. So, um, yeah, H, it was, it was a, another win of a, a good side. And, um, you know... We're probably not all yet ready to collectively admit that, but um, hopefully it's the truth. Yeah, I, I did say it was a danger game. It, it's GWS a team that can come out and play any stage of the season. They, it, I mean, we, they're going in one four last week, but you can't write them off even at one four. And on top of that, as we saw, Green was coming back. Um, we managed to keep him reasonably quiet, which was basically, as we said, the first thing we had to do. Um, but yeah, you get, get into the hearing that siren at the end of the game. I think the, the first feeling I think most people had was a huge sigh of relief that, that was okay. We escaped and you just sort of took it in and a few minutes later, you like, go, geez, that was a good win. That was a really good win. Um, but I think, yeah, I think I sat there for about two, three minutes after the game going, we escaped. We, we definitely escaped that one. We sort of it's just one of those nights where everything went against us pretty much a couple of things went our way but so much went against us and to hold on that just digging in um fighting and wanting to hold on to the hold on to the result and keep get that win and it's as you say it's sort of a game that you've seen us turn over many times before and you sort of go, okay, okay, this this group's got a bit of resolve in them. They've they've got that. We want to we we want our results. We want these wins. We want to do anything possible to get them. And we saw some players really really stand up and show us that that is that's what they're there for. They're there to play for the club. They're there to play play for their mates. They they're going to dig deep when they need to. And they, that's that's how we came out with the four points. I don't, you know, in that last quarter, your, your brain writes scripts, I think, sometimes. And it was a frustrating watch because you couldn't help but have that sinking feeling. I mean, we Mason Wood missed one really tight at the end of the last, uh, end of the third quarter. Uh, then at the start of the last, we kicked either three or four points in a row. Um, and I remember just screaming at the TV thinking, we only have to kick one, one and it's done. And we just couldn't get it. We just kept missing and missing and missing. And then they got a goal from a dodgy free kick. And you're like, I've seen this movie before. Uh, we've missed chances. They get a gift. It gets them on a roll. Uh, but then obviously they stuffed up that next chance when, when Flynn took that mark, hand passed it to Himmelberg, which, by the way, went out of bounds on the full. But anyway. Yeah, I know. Um, that wasn't a point. There's no way <laughs> that was a point. But um, and, and again, you, you see things like that and you're like, that'll bite us on the arse, I bet you. Um, but thankfully it, it didn't. And yeah, I think it was it was all of those emotions. It was a frustrating watch, but at the same time, you knew you were watching us fight to the death, so to speak, and go, you know, I'm proud of what they're doing. We don't deserve to lose. 
but you could kind of see it coming. And um, yeah, it was just that that relief mixed with pride, knowing that the, the watch was was a really difficult one. I, I, think, think, I think the biggest problem I had too was that um, I think Nick was Nick was at home with his, with his family watching. I was at a pub where every every second guy that walked past me was going, "Oh, you're safe, you're safe." I'm going, "No, we're not. We're not safe." <laughs> There's no Maybe way. Even the commentators were doing that with two minutes to go. They were wrapping up how good a win it was. And I'm like, hang on a second. Then Canelio in the post with a minute to go. And I'm like, to, it, it, it could easily be a draw if that. he kicks that. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah they yeah, walk, people walk past going, oh, you're safe. And we're not yet. No way. I mean, this was mm-hmm. 10 minutes to go. And I'm thinking, not even close. So, yeah, it, it's it just that sort of thing that does not help. It, it does go to show that I, I, I think one of the things that, that, you know, we've started talking about in the last week or so is that it just, we look like a different team. We don't look like St Kilda of old. And, and I know, you know, there's question marks about the opposition that we've played and who we've beaten and all that sort of stuff. And we'll find out a hell of a lot more over the next month or so. You know, we've got Port and Cairns, like you touched on, uh, the Demons and then Geelong. So it's a, it's a pretty tough, tough stretch. Um, but just looking at some of the the raw the raw data, the raw numbers, and, and I've got some some data from Ed Carmony, who's one of the writers at, at Zero Hanger, who's just put together a couple of couple of pieces of, of um, raw numbers for us that, that go to show that this is a, a different St Kilda that we're talking about now and the way that we play, the way that we attack and defend. Um, but just at a real basic level, our average score, week to week, our average score this year is nearly 21 points higher than it was last year. Our average score conceded is just over nine points uh, less than last year. Uh, we are averaging nearly five scoring shots more this year than we were last year per game. Um, and, and then you get into second halves and, and we've seen, I know Parker, you tweeted about second halves uh, on uh, on Friday night or, or Saturday morning, whatever it was after the game. And uh, cheers to Channel 7 for that as well. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but average average second half scores for us last year, our average second half score was 39.1 points our average second half score this year is 51.6 points uh it's, it's a massive uplift and in terms of points conceded average second half points conceded in 2021 21.7 and in 2022 13.6 another incredible uplift um defensively we've obviously won five out of six second halves this year um we've won 10 out of 12 second half quarters um which is amazing and, and defensively um you know, we, we've conceded 10 or less goals in a game four out of six times. That's 66%. Last year was 11 of 22. It's 50%. I think across the board, um, offensively, defensively, we're better. We're better at things like stoppages, although for a number of reasons, stoppages and clearances and, you know, contest, et cetera, was not our forte on, on Friday night. Um, we know that having lost Hayes and, and Marshall for most of the second half. Um, but, yeah, this is this is a different... This is a different St Kilda, um, and you know, I think that I think Brett Ratton has to take a lot of credit for that. I, you know, I think we said a few weeks ago in, in one of our, our segments about who needs to lift um, was that Brett Ratton needed to lift in the way that that he was coaching, and we needed to see more. You know, we needed some Plan Bs, some Plan Cs. We needed to, to have more dynamicism, etc. But also Nick Walsh, who's the the, the fitness coach or, or high performance manager or whatever you want to call him, he's come from GWS as well, um, and and has has been a defensive coach in his own right across defensive lines. So he's got defensive experience, but he's also what looks like revitalized our fitness and, and our physicality and our power and strength and the ability for us to, to run out of 
to, to run out games. And it comes with that, the, the mentality of the guys knowing that they can do that. And that, you know, when there's two minutes to go and GWS are pressing and you've got guys like Kelly and Canelio and Taranto pushing through the middle um, that, you know, they know that they can run with them and, and they can go with them and they can keep putting the, putting the stops on. Yeah, we've gone from even direct comparison to last year. So last year we were two and four and this year five and one. So we're three games better off and our percentage is 61 points higher than it was at the same time last year, which is um, ridiculous, astronomically higher. So obviously you've got to go on with it and the draw is still tough. We've, we've still got to play Geelong twice, Sydney twice, Brisbane twice, Melbourne um, we've got Adelaide and Adelaide, and they look like they've improved a little bit. We've got Freo again. We've still got to play Carlton. Um, so there's tricky matches, but at the same time, it's, those matches are proving tricky for for them as well. Um, love the write-up, too. We'll obviously give them a plug. I think it sort of sums up the way most of us sort of feel, the RWB footy boys on uh, on Twitter that, that sort of put those write-ups together. I think if you haven't had a chance to read those yet, I think they encapsulate the feelings of Saints fans really, really well. Um, best, best recap. Yeah. Best recap mm-hmm. online, week after week after week, no matter win, loss, or yep. draw. Mm-hmm. Um, 100% worth a read for every Saints fan. Yep, definitely. So it sort of captures the, the emotion really well. We're going to catch up shortly with um, Alicia Loxley, uh, newsreader and reporter journalist with, with Channel 9 and diehard Saints fan. Anyone who's been to Best and Fairest or watched the Best and Fairest online in recent years, she's been hosting those. And so we'll chat to her about what it's like to be a Saints fan and, and ride the wave. And as as always, we, we want you to sort of throw your request in with us, be it celebrity fans that we might not even know about, for example. Um, you can sort of tweet those through to us. Um, particular players you want to hear from. Um, obviously, you can look through our back catalogue and see who we have spoken to and if there's names. We know the obvious ones like Lockett and, and Rewald and things like that. But um, anyone out of, out of left field, like last year we spoke to, say, Jason Heatley and we've had Troy Swords and Brett Moyle. If there's anyone that has a story to tell that you'd like to hear from, just um, send that communication through to us. But Max Max King's Max King's favourite player, Troy Schwartz. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which started a nice little Twitter topic. But um, yeah, I think we all had those those random numbers on our back from time to time. And yeah, he might have been there that night. And hopefully Max will listen to that episode with Troy Schwartz to, to talk about it. But uh, votes uh, again, it's a it's a tricky one. Again, there'll be a, a lot of apologies and. We haven't mentioned someone yet who I think deserves to be mentioned for his heroics, and, and he'll come up in these votes, I'm sure. But but H, do you want to um, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, as I just said, a lot of apologies, a lot of apologies. Um, again, I couldn't fit the captain in. He a huge game again, like did everything he had to do, but I just, I just feel there was a couple of players ahead of him that just just gave us that little bit extra at the right time to keep us in the game. Um, so him an apology, Crouch an apology, Gresham an apology. Um, it's yeah, it was, it was a pretty good team effort when you look at it. But in the end, I actually really, really impressed. He started really having an impact in the game after Marshall went down. Um, so you look at. Or what I think it was about the first time that he started hobbling around a little bit. It was about some point in the second quarter. Um, but towards the end of the second quarter, then he had a huge third quarter. And I, I think that's really set the tone for the rest of the team. But I was really impressed with Zebros. I thought he had a brilliant game. Um, that that third quarter that he played, the the I guess the 
Um, took it, got a few intercepts, cleared the ball out for us a number of times, gave us some real drive. And what what he did, he moved the ball quickly. He he's always been someone who's been a little bit stagnant at times, but he moved the ball so quickly, Friday. And you just saw it go. That's that's what we want him doing. We don't want this get the ball, turn around and look the other way like he was doing for a few years there at one point. Um, he basically picked the ball up, looked at what's ahead, what's in front of me, and delivered the ball beautifully a few times and really, really got us moving well. So I gave him one. Um, two, Jack Higgins. Um, great, great game for a small forward. Um, it's sort of sort of a game that I didn't think the guy that I gave three to, if he didn't play such a great game, he would have been a three-voter, no worries at all. Um, the Maybe if he kicked those two from 10 metres in front, he might have got the three. But, yeah, that he really needs to just settle in those situations, I think, a little bit. He gets, he gets, what did he say he goes at? He goes at a million million minutes a second or something. So um, just just needs to calm himself and just go back. Do do the routine, put it through. Because I mean, you, you can sort of forgive one, but then you repeat it immediately. <laughs> Only a couple of minutes later, you sort of go, come on, you, you can't be doing that. And those two misses could have ultimately been the difference in a result when you look back. So it's a it's a big thing that yeah, just just get those little things right. Um, but three, Josh Battle, he was massive. I I was so impressed with his game. That that was a massive game. He he is one of the reasons we stayed in that game, and well, probably the reason we stayed in the game for so long. It wasn't just in the back line; it was in the midfield. It was on the wing. It was at the top of the fifty, even when GWS were trying to get out of our fifty. You looked and he was there at the contest. He was there tagging a player. He was there spoiling their forwards all over the place. Um, that's it, like we used, we call him a, I guess, a, that old utility. And that's what he did on Friday. He did every single different sort of thing that he had to do to make sure we won the game. And there's 18 positions on the field. It almost felt like he was in about 25 positions. It was it was just in every single spot you could even imagine. So, so impressed with that game. And, yeah, well, well-deserved three votes. Very similar. Very similar. I wanted to give a, a special mention. It's not He's not someone that we've, we've spoken a lot about. Marcus Windhager um, didn't have a massive game by any stretch, but his last quarter I thought was very mm-hmm. strong. Uh, it's seven tackles and the way that he contested the ball and, and contested the man, I thought was fantastic for a kid, his age in that sort of pressure situation, when you, you're down on personnel and, and kind of everything's going against you. I thought his contest was very impressive. Uh, another shout out to Dougal Howard is someone who I think that we've all probably had a crack at at times on, on this show over the last couple of years, but he went at hundred percent disposal efficiency on Friday night with 10 kicks and, um, he was very strong, especially when when Josh Battle kind of moved out of the back line and into the ruck. Thought Dougal Howard held things down superbly. Um, couldn't sneak him in for a vote this week. Uh, you've already mentioned Crouch and, and Gresham and Seb Ross, who you gave a vote, H. I, I tried really hard to sneak him in, but just couldn't. Um, but he was right on the bubble. And, and you're right, that third quarter, 
Um, I think I tweeted at about three quarter time that everyone was going to talk about Jack Higgins, three goals in that quarter, but Seb Ross was involved in absolutely everything. And, and one of the things that I've kind of noticed this, this year is that he seems to be running a lot more freely and that his disposal has, uh, has increased, whether it has increased from an, an efficiency standpoint or not, but just the, the eye test, his kicking looks cleaner. Um, his disposal just looks cleaner and, and nicer and he's hitting targets that previously he would miss. And I wonder if, because there's not so much of an over-reliance on a guy like him or Luke Dunstan in, in previous years or, or anybody else, that maybe Ross is able to do the things and his the role that he's been given suits his skill set a lot more than previously, even going back to his, his um, best and fairest uh, award-winning seasons. But you know, he's, he's playing a lot more freely. He's able to play you know, defensive midfield. Um, he's across half-back. You know, winning the winning the ball back. Um, he had seven clearances and nine score involvements, uh, which I thought was really impressive from Severos. And, and his long kicking seems to have improved um, immeasurably. Um, one vote, the captain Jack Steele. I think this, this was just a captain's game. He he stood up when when it was needed. Twenty nine touches, sixteen of them contested, nine tackles, seven inside fifties, four clearances, and five hundred and one meters gained. He just did a bit of everything and just was everywhere when we needed him to be and doing the things that we need him to do, which is, you know, setting an example um, in and around the ball, but also, you know, pushing the ball forward and, and doing all those things that you need your leaders to do. He did. And, and I thought, you know, most weeks he'd probably get, get more than a vote, but um, you know, this week there were a couple ahead of him, Jack Higgins, two votes, 18 touches, 427 meters gained for a, a small forward and four goals, three. You're right, H. I think it's those, it's those two missed shots in, in the first quarter that probably kept him from, from maximum votes. Um, but another pretty good game from Jack. And I think he's kicked 13 goals in his last 14 quarters or 14 goals in his last 13 quarters, something like that. He's, he's in, he's in a, uh, a pretty good patch of form at the moment and long may that continue. But you're right, Josh Battle, um, clear three-vote game, 23 touches, 10 marks, five intercepts, five inside 50s, 580 metres gained for a, a for what is ostensibly our centre-half back um, and obviously stepped into that ruck role when, when we lost Hayes uh, and then Marshall throughout the second half. But, you know, I, I think we, we've been trying to make him not be that utility um, so far this season and, and not be that... Um, you know, Swiss Army knife or swingman, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call him, and just try and let him settle into a position, which I think he's done really well. But even before he moved into the ruck, he was having a really, really good game at centre half back. He took a towering mark in the first quarter um, over a couple of Giants forwards, and and was just, I mean, he's just settled into this team. I think we were all a bit concerned at the end of last year about how, you know, Josh Battle was going to fit into into. Brett Ratton's new team, whatever that looked like, but you know, he's really settled in nicely and, and just did absolutely everything asked of him. Um, and you could see straight after the game, you know, he was interviewed on the ground and then again in the rooms with blood streaming down his face. He's just, he's given everything this bloke in, in that game and, and has pretty much every game so far this year in, in whatever role that's been, you know, generally at center half back. But um, I saw a few people tweet that it was, you know, the best, zero hit out game from a Ruckman ever played. And it's pretty hard to argue with that, I reckon, uh, after Friday night. Yeah, de definitely. And um, you know, I agree with a lot of those sentiments. I thought Marshall was very good in the first half before he got injured, um, unfortunately. Um, 
not an apology for Max King, but I, but I wanted to say that I didn't think his one seven uh, was as bad as it read. He missed a sitter in the second quarter, no question about that. But you know, his first shot from fifty five meters out after the quarter time siren hit the post. Um, second shot was out wide. He had a running shot off one step from 50 that just missed. He kicked one in the last quarter that looked like a goal. It just sort of bent the wrong way. I mean, he had probably two bad misses out of the out of the eight shots. I mean, yes, he probably he's been kicking better than that this year. But he, I wouldn't call it they gifts. I would say he had some difficult shots that didn't quite go his way and missed one genuine sitter. That was a, a really bad miss in the second quarter. But uh, not as bad, for example, as the Geelong game last year when he when he missed a, a stack of those shots. But um, obviously, he'd want to kick straighter than that. Apologies to, to Seb Rice. I agree with everything. I thought he was outstanding. Uh, ben Patton, obviously, I think, did a reasonable job in nullifying the, the opposition's best player, as did the likes of Wilkie when he rolled through there and uh, various others as well. Um, also, uh, apologies to Gresham for his second half, especially for Jack Sinclair, who continues to play well. But I gave a vote to Jack Higgins. Uh, he's proving to be a, a match winner. His third quarter swung the game. No question about that. Two votes to Jack Steele. I thought he was the best midfielder on the ground. And every time he got the ball, he used it in such a safe and, and assured manner. He had a hand in so many of our scores. He was just outstanding. And three votes yet yeah, to, to Josh Battler. He, he knew he was going to lose the hitouts. He had to compete. He had to make body contact. He had to influence the ruck contest. He did that. He, that rundown tackle in the third quarter was inspiring. Um, and his ability to then get around the ground, I think he had 13 possessions after he went into the ruck. Um, the intercept marking, the pressure, yeah, a terrific game. And it reminded me a little bit of the game that um, Paddy Ryder played on Anzac Day for Essendon way back when, when they discovered that he was a ruckman. Uh, David Hill did his knee in that game and, and they threw Paddy Ryder from centre half back into the ruck and he won the medal. Um, Look, Josh Battle's not a ruckman and he did the job for us. He's a defender um, and that's where he should play. But it's amazing that last year the biggest issue was we were playing him in so many different roles. Settling him into, into a spot this year has allowed him to find his best. But then when you do release him, he's got the confidence to go off and do that um, when the time comes. So, yeah, three votes and tremendous effort. You, you had to be proud of what he produced. Well, um, it's funny. Yeah. It's funny you talk about kind of understanding that you're going to lose the ruck contest. Saw a tweet from James <laughs> Serretta on, on Twitter today, actually, when uh, Mason Wood was told he was going to be the second ruck after Hayes and Marshall got injured. And, uh, and Mason Wood says to Jared Ruffhead, sure, where do I hit it? And Ruffy just goes, "Don't worry, you won't be hitting it." Um, <laughs> I think that just kind of says it all. It just you give up, you give up the hitouts, you give up the ruck contest, but you don't give up the contest. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's all that was asked of them. And and that is, you know, I think even I think Jack Steele even took a yeah a, a field yeah. a field um, mm-hmm. ruck contest. And uh, yeah, that that's all you can ask is that you know you you know that these guys are not going to be competing with you know two hundred and two two hundred and three centimeter ruckman for for hitouts, but to compete physically, to make sure that they earn every one of those hitouts, to make sure they earn every one of those touches um, is all you can ask. And, and they did that admirably. Certainly you, did, yeah, when yeah. you're down, no Ruckman, you just got to make it as hard as possible. And yeah, the be- best thing you can try to actually do is the midfielders need to learn where's that, where's their Ruckman putting the ball? Where, where are they putting the ball? Where do they want the ball? That And that's where we're up to pick a few off them. And they got to, um, Bruce got to the point where he was going, he's telling his midfield, I'm just hitting it long. You could basically tell him, I'm going long. That's, that's it. He actually waved to him and said, get down the field. So 
he knew that they weren't winning the ball down at their feet so often because the pressure we were putting on on the ball when it was hitting the ground was immense. So Maybe. just that, um, yeah, just that pressure we're able to put onto him gave us that, um, I guess, the advantage over him in the way of, okay, we've got that extra midfielder in there, I guess, in the way that we don't have the Ruckman that extra midfielder that's right in there in the middle from the start is going to help us move the ball out of there. So we were able to, I guess, account it, but luckily we got, yeah, Paddy back this week. Yeah, definitely. You, you kind of had the feeling that law of averages with us would be that, you know, if we were down a ruckman, we would then lose the others and, and be challenged like that. But um, uh, good to, to respond in the manner with which we did. Now, we're all diehard Saints fans, and those of you listening are as well. And our next guest certainly is one. It'll be a very familiar face on your TV screens each night when you uh, watch the news. But also, if you had a look at St Kilda's streamed Best and Ferris last year or have been in attendance when they've had them, in recent years, such as 2019, I speak, of course, of a Channel 9 journalist and newsreader, Alicia Loxley. Well, we've had a great mix on Unplugged over the last few years, from current players during lockdown to, to past players. We've had the chance to speak to a couple of premiership players this year. Got a chat to some celebrity fans as well. And our next guest is one of those, a presenter, a reporter and journalist with Nine News Australia and uh, doing some terrific work uh, across that space. Has done MC roles at a club, be it best and fairest, and, of course, a, a passionate lifelong sainter as well. Alicia Loxley, thank you very much for your time. Oh, thanks very much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Now, we'll go back to the start of the, the journey, which is what, what we would normally do. How did the, how did the St Kilda blood I guess infiltrate the other uh, the Loxley family uh well it uh you know normally I say I blame my dad but I guess <laughs> with the start of the season um and how well we're going I can sort of thank dad um for leading me down this path um my um dad was from New South Wales but he went to boarding school in Melbourne and lived in St Kilda and so he became a, a passionate St Kilda supporter and he would take uh, my brother and I down to Moorabbin and um, we would watch games from when we were, you know, uh, very young. And then, of course, out to Waverley where my, you know, memories of it were just um, being freezing. Um, Stewie Lowe continually missing kicks on goal. Um, and, you know, a lot of disappointing results, I guess you could say. Um, but, yeah, it's been a lifelong passion. Um, I moved over to, to WA and, and found myself uh, on the Western Saints as a committee member. And um, I remember Dad came over actually for Robert Harvey's 350th game, which was an incredible uh, win, of course, at Subiaco in enemy territory. So, yeah, it's been a really long um, love affair that's had a fair bit of heartbreak with it as well. But, um, but you know, there was no choice um, you know, in our household of, of who to go for, really. So it was the Saints all the way. Alicia, thanks for, for coming on the show. When, when we put the call out every now and then to ask who people want to see on the show or, or what guests they'd like to hear from, um, you know, we always got the, the, the standard, you know, we want Plugger, we want Eric Banner, et cetera. But your name always, your name always comes up. 
Um, so I really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us tonight. But um, you talked about going to Moorabbin and, and Waverley and, and that sort of stuff. Is, is there any, I guess, singular memory of, of those days as a kid going to the footy that, that kind of stands out for you? Any, any event, any moment that you kind of think that that was, that was, my, that was my time as a kid? Oh, it's funny. You know, at Moorabbin, like, you know, I remember my brother, well, Dad always used to say that my brother was just busy watching like birds who were sort of in the stadium and, and I was always like very focused on the footy but there was also always lots of kids around and he said I was sort of like the Pied Piper like all the kids were just running around and we were just having a great time and um and I remember that and I do remember kind of those long drives of because you know I grew up in McLeod which is you know northeastern suburbs it's a long way from Moorabbin it's a really long way from Waverley um and it was just a a mammoth effort to get out there but always worth it and and you know, I remember like being sort of, you know, thrashed a couple of times we were out there at Waverley. And, but a highlight was, of course, always getting out onto the ground afterwards and, and having a kick and like ducking the footy. And um, it was always, no matter the result, like that was always amazing. And, um, you know, my dad was always like, you know, not overly positive about, um, about you know, sort of how we were going, of course, because of lived experience. Um, but, yeah, they're my memories. Like, you know, I, I, I and as I mentioned before, like I just remember Stewie Lowe always lining up for kick and my dad, like, just couldn't watch. He sort of had, had his head in his hands and, you know, I always used to think, are you being a bit rough on him? But sure enough, he would probably miss it and then, you know, <laughs> proving dad right. But, um, but they're my sort of memories. Like as far as match highlights, my memory um, doesn't serve me too well, but... I always had number seven on my back. Like Nikki Wimmer was my favourite player. I had an iron-on transfer. The bottom of it was always kind of flapping off, like it hadn't been done properly. Um, I was lucky that then obviously Lenny Hayes took over number seven. So he was like, that was a brilliant um, swap over. Didn't have to like change the number. Um, but yeah, I have I have brilliant memories. Um, and, and, you know, I remember dad and I went to the... Um, Oh, we went to the 95. Actually, my first grand final, I should say, was 1995, which was like a big thrill, of course. Any Melbourneian, all you want to do is get to a grand final. Um, 97, um, something I'd been talked into by a friend to be part of the pre-match entertainment. So she was part of some dance school and randomly we ended up like on the ground. Um, you know, like I was in a Hawthorne pyjama set because you just got given what you're given. We were sort of like lifting the banner and all that stuff and they obviously don't give tickets to those kids who are out there doing the, the pre-match entertainment. So I ran to Jollymont Station, like got on the train, mum picked me up at McLeod, got home and um, we were looking okay at halftime. And then of course, Darren Jarman just like destroyed us in the second half. And so I was in tears for the rest of it. But, um, but they're my sort of, you know, you know, I guess standout memories. The night flag was pretty exciting. I think um, I banged pots and pans on, on our front doorstep for that obviously starved of like a lot of you know flag success so that was a big moment but um yeah they're, they're probably the moments that stand out for me follow a similar path there actually 95 was the first green vial i actually went to as well so um <laughs> yeah it's a, a little interesting one there but yeah i was about to ask with the when I mean, you've told us now that nicky winmar was the number on the back and you obviously knew a lot about stewie low and that but is there any sort of players that maybe you you sort of like that maybe weren't at the top of the level that were sort of like someone that just, just, a, I guess, a, someone who 
did the hard yards, you sort of like go, oh, that's a player that I kind of really liked and or someone who's a little bit out there, I guess? Yeah, I'm trying to think um, whether there was anyone sort of, like I guess it's hard when you're in primary school, like of course like Tony Lockett was just a massive deal, um, you know, I, there weren't many St Kilda supporters at, um, at my primary school in Rosanna, but um you know, I love Barry Hall, like watching him and um, like I always loved watching Lee Montagna and, um, you know, got to host a Best and Ferris with him, which was really awesome. It was lovely to, to get to know him because I love the way that he played and and, um, and and that's been really great as part of my professional life to be able to then meet these people. Of course, you know, Rui's not someone that you would say is, um, you know, one of those players who's not a superstar. Like he... Um, He's an absolute superstar and, and and meeting him and working with him and getting to know him, um, he's just, you know, as you guys know, like a terrific bloke. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like even doing the, the latest Best and Fairest, um, and we had to do it virtually, of course, because of COVID, um, and so we did it from these studios. But, but Max King was there and, gosh, it was really just refreshing to meet, you know, um, and and lots of the younger players are like this, but what a what a lovely like guy he is, and so talented, and, and hasn't he come on this season? But just so nice to meet, um, you know, someone who is so unassuming and just you know obviously world at his feet, but um, but certainly not reading his own press. And and I think that's you know that's what's so great about our team at the moment and always has been. Like I think we've always sort of been rather than a team with a standout individual, we've always sort of had that that you know team of of wonderful players. And so hopefully that continues. Like Robert Harvey, I think, has always been um, you know, a, a massive favorite and you know what a standout person he is as well off the off the ground too. It's amazing the symmetry that between all of the stories, my grandparents settled in St Kilda. That's how we came yeah. to be St Kilda supporters, and then they lived in McLeod for forty-five years. Oh, wow. So, quite quite extraordinary amazing. that it sort of that it all ties that way. But um, you mentioned the opportunity to host Best and Fairest. Aaron and I were there in in twenty nineteen, and, and obviously a lot's changed since then. But a, a really significant night. Obviously, you you were hosting it, but the the, the night had that sombre mood with the, the the tributes to Danny Frawley at the start of it, and then. Uh, obviously there'd been a coaching change with Brett Ratton coming on board. I think Eric Banner was there that night as well. It kind of felt like that for you, that might've tied it all together where it was lifelong Saints fan. Here I am hosting a function in mm. person and we're paying tribute to somebody who was such an important part of this club. Oh yeah. And the mood side of stage was really, when I say somber, like it was, you know, obviously everyone was just reeling um, and wanting to, pay tribute to to Danny Frawley and get the tone right of the night because obviously um, from memory they started off with an instrumental piece and 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 they paid tribute to him right from the start and it was just a real feeling of wanting to make sure that that tone of the evening was right but seeing um, and, and Stewie Lowe I'm pretty sure was side of stage um, I'm trying to think who else was there but but you know, those closest to Danny Frawley were all standing there as they played that tribute piece and, and you could just see, um, yeah, the, the sadness and, and um, agony amongst that group because what a huge loss that is. Um, and, and, you know, I, I remember, like, when you go back to that like, last question about players, um, 
like he absolutely was a favourite of mine, Danny Frawley, and, um, yeah, it's just terribly sad, isn't it? And and you could see how the club just really wanted to make sure that they paid tribute in the right way and, um, and, and I think they did it really well. Like I think... Um, those nights are often nights of celebration of course when the season hasn't gone that well often it's kind of um, you know trying to also get that tone right but with, with something like Danny Frawley's passing it was um, it, it felt like a really significant evening you know for the club and I think they did it really well. The um, the, the tributes to, to Sparta side and, and yeah I think it's it's always it's tough to have those conversations around Danny Frawley and I remember um, Parco that week uh, you and I at Moorabbin sitting in the center circle at Moorabbin having a beer, just kind of pouring one out for Spud. Um, and even then, like you're hard to, to not get choked up and, and let the tears flow. But um, I guess outside of outside of all that type of emotion, but do you do you pinch yourself that you get to be in these positions now? And, and obviously, you've got you've got the profile, you've got the, the history and the experience, and and the know how and the knowledge to to go out and, and do these things with and, and for the footy club. Oh, absolutely. Like it just feels, you know, often like a bit of a dream really because as you guys know, when you support a football club, um, it's just part of you, isn't it? Like it just um, – and people who who don't feel that way about a football club like think that's ridiculous and don't really get it. But, um, yeah, like as you know, it's been like um, – it, it's it's the, 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 the love for the club makes the, the – you know those losses, <laughs> so painful. But but how good is how good is having that commitment to something? Like life is not the same without having that. I reckon. And so people who don't get it, I think. Um, and of course, I would say this, and you guys would say this, but I think they're missing out. I reckon they don't. They're missing a big gap in their lives. And so to be able to, yeah, we just had another function on Friday. Like St Kilda's doing this STK business event, and they're trying to, um, you know, make that into a really successful business networking um, lunch series and it's working really well. We had Sally Cap, the Lord Mayor there and, um, and um, Ray Chamberlain, who was talking of course about all the um, dissent changes with umpiring and all that sort of stuff, which was great. But yeah, I absolutely pinch myself. It's, as I say, like being able to work alongside people like Nick Del Santo, Lee Montagna, um, Rui, you know, um, Matt Finnis is excellent. It's just a really, it's a really, like awesome thing to be able to do as a supporter, of course, because, um, you know, you just love this club. And so be, to be able to do that sort of stuff is awesome. Now, the other part, or I guess your main job is reading and reporting news. Has there been any situations where there's been a story about the club and you've sort of gone, oh, I really don't want to read this or another one where you're just you're edging and going, I, 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 this is, I want this to be the first story of the day or is there any sort of stories you've been, um, I guess, had put upon you that you got to re- had to have reported on, and just got to try to keep that, I guess, allegiance aside to to be able to read it out? Yeah, I mean, I haven't. I did a bit of sport reporting when I was in in WA, and of course, when you're in WA, no one cares about St Kilda. All you focus on are the Eagles and um, and the Dockers. I remember having to sort of. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know whether it was. I can't remember what the story was in relation to the Eagles. I remember having to sort of stalk out um, Subiaco and, you know, shove microphones in some of the player spaces, including Chris Judd, who wasn't that impressed <laughs> with me. So when I think back to that, I'm like, oh, gosh, um, you know, it's it's a tough job that some reporters have. Um, look, not really. Like, I think, um, 
yeah, I haven't um, I haven't had to do that in my reporting life, which is is good. I think if I was probably in sport, that would be different. Um, and and that's that's where it is tricky. If you're an ambassador for a club, um, then and then you have to also report on the the um, matters of that club, and that's where you can be a bit conflicted. But thankfully, because I'm not in that department, um, I haven't I haven't actually had to do that, which is which is a good thing because it's just good to keep. I think that sort of thing separate because, of course, the newsroom has to report on what's happening. And so if there's a scandal um, associated with the St Kilda Football Club, um, then, you know, that has to be reported on. But um, but that's not an area that I, you know, get into. Last one for me, obviously, working alongside um, Peter Hitchner as well is another one within the, the St Kilda family. And, and I guess broadly speaking, um, you know, have you been able to sort of, we, we seem to have more of those public profile celebrity fans than almost any other club in the competition. I know when we made the finals in 2020, I think they had yourself, the late Shane Warne, Eric Banner, these sorts of people doing photo shoots and stuff like that. So uh, have you been able to rub shoulders with, with some of that, I guess, celebrity brethren, be it Warney before he passed or, or Eric Banner and these sorts of people? Sure, surely there's a, a Saints celeb <laughs> WhatsApp group or something. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wish I could say there was. I actually knew Warney quite well. We worked together um, on that sort of short-lived variety show that he did, Warney. Um, and I was um, I was sort of the roving reporter, but also you know female host on on that. So got to know him quite well, and 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 that's been you know so sad to yeah to come to terms with you know his loss because what a massive loss. Um, you know, it is, and I'm so sad for him and, and just so sad for his kids. And, and, you know, it's funny, I was thinking about him, I was thinking, God, he never got to see a flag. Like, he never got to see the Saints win a flag and he loved our club so much. Um, and, and you know, we, we talked about the Saints a lot when we were working on that show because it was sort of our thing that we had in common, right? And um, I haven't met Eric Banner, but um, but I love, you know, how much he's all over the club. Of course, Shane Warne, I think Shane Warne got... Um, got Ed Sheeran along didn't he to um a game not too long ago and yeah Pete Hitchner of course being a massive Saints fan Tracy Grimshaw is a massive Saints fan so we've got like quite a few at Channel 9 um but you know we don't want to take anything away from of course all of the like absolute diehard fans um you know and just sort of you know like take any sort of attention away from you know, people like you guys who are clearly, you know, um, you know, massive St Kilda Football Club um, people. But it's, you know, I just love the club and and I think we do have some really great people, of course, around Molly Meldrum um, and I think that reflects that it's not easy being a St Kilda Football Club supporter. Um, it, hasn't, well, it hasn't been easy, um, of course, now that we've got the biggest drought. Um but that's not what it's about. Like it's, you know, and, and I, it's funny, like when you meet people who are Saints fans, I don't know, there's like that sort of instant connection and that instant sort of feeling of like you get, you get what it's like. Like you, you don't go for that sort of easy, um, easy hit of, of, of a win. So um, yeah, like there's, you know, there's a few, I guess, celebs around, um, who support the Saints, but um, but yeah, it's such a great club. Alicia, last one from me, but we we do a segment on this show called That's So St Kilda, 
Um, what what comes to mind when you hear the phrase "That's so St Kilda"? Oh, that's so St Kilda. Uh, like to win an unlosable game. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, should I? <laughs> um, that's so St Kilda. Oh, that's hard. Put me on the spot. Um, that's so St Kilda. Oh, I don't know. What are some of the other things that people said? That might be give me some inspiration. A classic example would be. Um... Well, Jake Bowie being a superstar at Melbourne when his dad played 85 games for St Kilda, not 100. (laughs) This week, I mean, not to spoil some that we might mention, but Melbourne getting riddled with COVID the week before they play us, not the week they actually play us. Those those sorts of things. The the bounce of the ball in the the Milne. Well, that um, is, yeah, that is so St Kilda. All that sort of stuff. That is so St Kilda. I was actually... um, lucky enough to be like watching in the channel nine um box that day because i'd come down from sydney for weekend today done the news outside the mcg and i was sitting in there with um like tony jones massive collingwood supporter um gary sweet massive collingwood supporter i was the only st kilda supporter in that like group um and that's probably so st kilda isn't it that we like i didn't think that you know we were sort of I didn't think we had it at all that day, but then from nowhere we were kind of like so close and the bounce of that ball. Um, But yeah, like it's funny, isn't it? I've gone over that a few times in my mind, but um, yes, they were able to sort of have it over me um, a week later, which was a bit of a shame, but um, yeah, that is so St Kilda, isn't it? How are you at the moment with the ability to get to games, obviously the commitments you have and all that? Do you guys still get along to, I guess, as many games as you'd like? And are you, how's the family with supporting the club? Did I, have you got everyone supporting the team? And, very good question. It's a very good yeah. question because it's a movable feast. I'm not sure if you guys have kids, but far out. The parents get the last say, I reckon. It's like the kids they go to school with or the next door neighbour who's 12 who's, you know, their hero, so whoever he barracks for. But I feel like I've finally, um, my husband's a Docker supporter because he's from Perth, and so we're having um, sort of quite a lot of success in our household at the moment. Um, but uh, my youngest, Ada, my daughter, she is definitely St Kilda. Um, I think Archie, the oldest, is definitely St Kilda, but Ned is kind of wavering a bit. He's kind of heading back to the Dockers. But I reckon over the long term I'll... Um, I'll be okay, but they didn't. The boys didn't switch to St Kilda because of me. They they you know have a friend at school, Ollie, who goes to St Kilda, and so randomly they came home one day like, okay, we're on board with St Kilda. Um, you know, getting them like Guernseys and getting them gear always helps as well. Um, so I've finally like managed to get them on board. But as far as going to the games, like it's pretty difficult being the weekend newsreader because now I'm reading Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights. And so um, I don't really get to go to many games at all, but, um, but yeah, always sort of always watching from work um, as much as I can and, and, you know, get to the games as much as I, as much as I can, but um, but not as many as I'd like. I was going to say, you might be lucky being up against the Dockers because it's the one team that we can say we're one up on. So (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Well, Alicia, uh, your knowledge, I think, puts a lot of people to, to shame. You're, you're certainly one of us in, in every sense of the word. Uh, your, um, yeah, your, your recollection of history and things like that is incredibly impressive. So thank you very much for, uh, for joining us, Go Saints, and uh, we appreciate you uh, you're sharing the journey with us tonight. 
Oh, thanks, guys. And as soon as I'll hang up, I'll think of something that's so secular, I'm sure. But go Saints. And um, what a what a great start to the year. They're playing really well. And um, let's, you know, who knows? I, I said at work, actually, I was like, I'm not keeping the lid on it. I turned 40 last year. So I'm like, I'm sort of, I feel like I'm halfway. So, you know, I'm just going to enjoy this because who knows what, if we might not, we probably, well, who knows? Anyway, I'm just going to. Going to enjoy it for what it is. We expect there's always pain somewhere, so we'll just enjoy this until that next little bit. Exactly. Let's get carried away. Let's go crazy. (laughs) We'll ride the wave. Thank you. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Lovely to chat. That was Alicia Loxley, passionate Saints fan, and uh, great to hear her story, and we'll try to bring you plenty of those over the course of the season. We look ahead to Port Adelaide, and and probably, you know, it's been challenging trying to uh, track down people like, um, you know, the, the great guests we've had, like Robert Harvey and Lenny Hayes and Nathan Burke and, and, and Stuart Lowe, et cetera. But I think the biggest challenge would be if we could find a living person that has been there in the flesh when St Kilda has played Port Adelaide at Marvel Stadium. Um, if anyone knows anybody that's ever seen a game like that, obviously last year we played them at Marvel, but no one was there. Um but, yeah, we, we've played them in China. We've played them in Cairns now. We've played them 4,000 times in Adelaide. We've played them in Tasmania. Um, so if anyone knows anybody, uh, might have to go to, the, you know, consult club historians and things like that. But uh, you'd have to go back in time a fair way. But uh, we turn our attention to them. It is a bogey side. We've only beaten them once since 2011, and that came in 2020, obviously in a year that we made the finals. And usually that's an indication that you're a good team when you knock the bogey sides off in those years. Um we lose Jack Hayes, and it's obviously worth pausing on that. His, his contribution in the, the start of the year has been outstanding. He's been a wonderful recruit. His enthusiasm, his work rate, it's extremely sad, obviously. I think most of us were pretty flat within the game when we heard that news that it was an ACL. Um, great commitment by the club. I loved what they did in the immediate aftermath of the game by making that commitment to him that he would be there next year. And, and I think that's a really good message to everybody. We are going to miss him because you would anticipate that Paddy Ryder at his age is not going to play every game. Um, so we're going to have to call on resources and, and we won't be able to call on him. And that's unfortunate. Um, that puts the pressure on Tom Campbell or perhaps a kid in, in Max Heath. But We'll cross that bridge when it comes. But at this stage, it looks like that might be the only change. Um, he for, for Ryder. Um, Jones and Billings have been confirmed to play VFL. Uh, Billings, obviously, that's a significant one. Zach Jones probably would have played AFL this week if not for the, the COVID situation last week. Um, yeah, uh, I think Hunter Clark probably the week after. So I, I would imagine, Nick, that's probably the, the one change. And it's great to get Ryder back, but... Um, I wish I wish Hayes was being uh, left out on balance rather than uh, the alternative. Yeah, spot on. I, I think it's worth mentioning. You know, you talked about his his work ethic and, and drive, and obviously, it's taken him a while to get to this point. And um, yeah, it, we've spoken about the the difference in mentality and physicality and um, the way that we play football. And and I think that you know, potentially watching Jack Hayes go about it either at training or in games or match sim or, or whatever can help bring along some of these other guys that are maybe a bit jaded or, or spent time maybe wondering, you know, what does their future hold? You know, do they have a future at St Kilda in, in AFL football? But watching watching his enthusiasm, his work ethic, his ability to just force himself to get involved. And you saw even on, on Friday night, he's obviously done the ACL and then sprinted as much as he could sprint to get to stand the mark before he ran off the field. And then obviously he's, he's pinged it again 
as he kind of got his studs caught in the turf and, and that probably maybe it was partially torn and then fully torn in that moment. I don't, I don't know how, how it worked, but yeah, he was clearly not right. And you saw him, you know, holding his knee before that. And then he kind of ran to, to, to stand the mark and go and, and you know, play his part, play his role. And, um, you know, we are going to miss him. Um, it's pretty rare that we get a first year player that's able to come in and have the impact that, that he's had. Uh, and like you said, Paco, I think the ability for us to, to rest Ryder, potentially rest Marshall um, is going to be a lot harder now without, without Hayes. Um, it, it does look like, it does look like that Ryder in for Hayes is going to be the only change. I think there are still some question marks about the fitness of Rowan Marshall. Obviously the corky on top of the corky was pretty painful. It's not, you know, not a serious injury by any means, but is, is clearly painful um, and, and hard for him to be mobile and agile and all the things that, that we know Rowan Marshall can be as a, as a Ruckman forward, um, which is why I think they've taken Tom Campbell up to, to Cairns and, and Campbell was at training part of full training today. Rowan Marshall's kind of training on his own. Uh, I think he did some light running and, and some handball drills and that was about it. Whereas Campbell kind of filled in, in, in the main session. So that'll be interesting to watch. Um, whether there's whether there's any other changes, but um, hopefully, Rowe is is good to go, and and Ryder for Hayes is, is the only change. I think that's pretty much all we're going to be seeing. Um, as as I think you've seen the same thing. I saw the picture of Marshall just training by him, pretty much by himself with the yep. um, mm-hmm. one of the other coaches, also on the off to the side, not actually joining in the group. So mm. it's it's one of those injuries that it could be fine by the weekend, but it can hang around too for longer than you'd hope. I mean, we've seen players miss years with corkies for, it's just the sort of thing that um, we hope it's just a, one of those ones that you sort of just keep stretching and stretching and it's gone by the, the following weekend. And um, yeah, he's right to go, but was it, was it Arlo like, a couple of weeks ago on, on the show that said he missed half a season or most yeah. of the season with, with the, the Corgi? Yeah, Jaron Geary as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it, it can be a pretty serious injury in the end if it's, um, it's I guess just gets the right spot. That that's one thing that it can be. It just be to just be in the wrong spot and it can be a long term thing. But he's up and about. That's the main thing. He's running. He's still training. Um, but hopefully, yeah, as I said, come by the weekend, we're still a few days away. Just keep, keep stretching, keep icing, keep stretching, and you'll get up and ready for the game. But, um, yeah, to have Marshall and Ryder back together, at least Marshall's back this week. At least we didn't lose both Ruckman last the week before because that mm. would have been – this week would have been absolutely mm. – yeah. <laughs> Basically, well, I guess we did beat them with almost no Ruckman, but – the same time, it wouldn't have been good going into the game with no reckon. So, um, yeah, the luck that we do get Ryder back this week is a good thing. And it might see Marshall play maybe a bit more forward if he does get up. And Ryder might have to take a little bit more ruck than he normally would. Um, Should be fresh yeah, after two weeks off. So Yeah. So, yeah. But Marshall will be able to, like, so he'll only have to take, I guess, the, uh, the, the centre and the back line. So Marshall can look after the... Like the the forward half of the ground for to the majority of the game, so you, you'll get a little bit of a rest every now and then when the ball's down our end. So 
I guess yeah, I guess that means the more the longer the ball's down and the better as well. So it's well they had yeah, they had Port's got Lyset out, but they I mean that young guy Hayes, I think he had forty seven mm. hit outs against West Coast, but that was against uh, Bailey the other Bailey Williams yeah, or whatever his yeah, name is. Was, so, yeah. It just wasn't a good week for Ruckman. And, no, it wasn't. But um yeah, it's it's a stiffer challenge certainly for that young Port kid uh this week. And you know, it's a good chance for hopefully us to control that area of the game, as we said, Jones and, and Billings to play VFL this week. Ryan Burns had 34 and was was BOG in the in the Sandys draw, an impressive draw coming from behind against the Giants. Dean Kent had four shots a go in the last quarter and kicked two, had 25. Highmore had nearly 30, I think, in the in the back half. Uh, Bytel was pretty good. Cooper Sharman kicked three, so um, Max Heath was solid, not as good as the week before, but solid. So. Um, yeah, there's, there's some players playing well at Sandy now that we can call upon. And, and obviously, Jones and Billings are going to make them stronger. They play Frankston, I think, this week. So, um, who aren't a bad side, but it's certainly a winnable game with, with those guys in it. So, um, we'll see what happens. On court, as we say, we, we always struggle against this team, and it's a mark of progress that you beat them. Um, they found some form last week, but look, they, they played against a side that was shit out, so let's be honest. So um, they'll get more heat and more pressure this week, certainly, than they had last week, significantly more so. Um, and we just got to hope that we can expose that. I mean, they've dominated realistically six quarters in a row because at the second half against Carlton, they blitzed them as well. So but they found a bit of something and they've got a bit of spirit. And, and certainly on paper, their, their squad is still pretty good with, you know, even their forward line with Finlayson, and Marshall, uh, Georgiades, Gray, uh, Rosie can go down there, etc. So that they've got some some spark and look, that they won't be easy to beat. But at the same time, I still feel reasonably confident about it. I'm starting to build a bit of trust in, in us. Um, I don't like playing at these random venues because it feels like things go wrong, like when we played Adelaide last year and Melbourne in Darwin the year before that. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, again, we, we probably say it, it's, it's, it's another box we should tick. And I think going into a Melbourne game, we need to make sure we win this and just keep that momentum rolling into that. So um, cautious that they're a good side and cautious of the fact that we never beat them. But we, we really need to be doing that this time. Yeah, again, you know, like last week, like the week before, that these are the games that we need to win. You know, we need to put teams that are well below us on the ladder. We need to put them away, um, and you know, we need to keep winning these because from here on out, there aren't a lot more of them. You know, that the second half of our season uh, gets incredibly difficult from a, a fixturing, from a schedule perspective, um, your strength of schedule, etc. We've got by far the worst uh, remaining fixture of, of any team in the competition that you touched on earlier, Darren, it's, it's, it's going to be very difficult. And, you know, if we want to be playing finals, we've got to be taking our opportunities and making the most of these games because we're going to come up against a lot harder opposition in the next couple of months. You basically got to beat the teams that are going to be around your position in the ladder. That that's you beat, you beat the teams below you and you, then you need to, I guess, I guess you got to say you got at least 50-50 with the top eight if you're in the top eight. That that guarantees you making finals. So it's um, a lot of is at the same time. There's a lot of um, I guess teams around the same point that we are playing us playing each other as well. So we've got to hope. I mean, on top of that, we win our games and then results sort of level out between those other teams as well and just 
yeah, if things go right, we're right there amongst it. And yeah, get the wood over a couple of those other teams that are, we're fighting with and we're, we're looking reasonable. So it's just a matter of, we it, you just don't want to drop off. That That's the first thing we've, we'll, I guess we'll know pretty early on. Um, I'm talking within a few weeks time, you go, okay, we're looking good or, okay, here we go. Now we're in for a bit of pain. What, what, Let's let's see how we get through this. So, um, hopefully, we're not begging for Dubai to get here sooner rather than later. And the, going into Dubai, we're still well above the 50, 50, 50 mark, and um, yeah, looking good to get into the second half of the season. You mentioned Paco earlier about that you're starting to have that confidence in in the side that they can get the job done, and I think that that's one of the differences now is that. You know, in, in previous years, we we could go into a game knowing that even if we bring our absolute best, we're no shot at winning a game. Now, I think if we if we bring our best, if we turn up with the effort and intensity that we have done for the last six weeks, and yes, there were some periods against Collingwood in, in round one, but that second half, you know, the third quarter was was pretty good in that regard. Um, it certainly wasn't a lack of effort that cost us there, but. Um, especially in the last five weeks, if we bring that, that energy, that intensity and um, hunger for the contest, then we're, we're going to be competitive against every team in the competition um, because of the way we play, because of the way that, that we prepare our fitness now and, and our mentality. If we, if we turn up, then we're a shot. And, you know, if we do that this week, then we're, we're a real shot. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a it's a fair summary, and, and yeah, it's another one, we, another challenge. I mean, as we said, winning five in a row is hard in this competition, given how even it is. Uh, six in a row obviously gets harder again, but um, you know, it's it's a match that we, we've sold a home game. Um, in saying that, I mean, Port Adelaide play Marvel okay, so obviously not having them there doesn't have to be a disaster. Obviously, you'd like to play it in front of your, your home fans, and, and as we say, there's always that great unknown, but if you line the two sides up on, on form and, and fitness and all of that sort of stuff, again, it, it's it's one that we should hopefully be able to get through and uh, show some of that resilience. So fingers crossed that they can salute and we can you know head into that massive clash with Melbourne uh, on the back of six in a row, but I uh, can't be thinking about that one just yet uh, until uh, until next week. But uh, our segments, that's so St Kilda. Um, surprisingly, there are still quite a few of those kicking around, actually. Um yeah, I think for me, I'll probably touch on, not that you ever want to make light of COVID, but um, we know that it's going to impact AFL sides quite a bit over the season. This week, it's Melbourne's turn. Obviously, we lost Zach Jones and Brett Ratton and the like in recent weeks, but Melbourne loses their coach, Simon Goodwin. They lose three premiership players. I think it's Petty uh, also... Um, uh, who the other ones were, but certainly Jackson was one of them. Um but it's Cosby this week. Pickett, yeah, Cosby, Cosby Pickett. Pickett. Tom, so it's, and Tom Sparrow, I think. Sparrow, yeah. So it's this week, not next week. So um, it, it's very St Kilda that that would happen one week before we play them and not the week that we actually play them. But uh, Nick, what have you got? Oh, come on! Oh, and th- there are still a few. I think mm. we tweeted from the Unplug It account that it, uh, yeah, at, at five and one, it, it is getting a bit harder to find them, but there are still <laughs> plenty floating around. Maybe not as not as big as, as you know, in previous weeks or, or previous years, I guess, but um, a few people have mentioned that, that we've won five in a row and we're not in the top four. Um, and, and the fact that we were sitting in second 
for a period a couple of weeks ago. And we've won two games straight since then, or two games in a row, and have just dropped place after place after place, um, which just seems, it seems very St Kilda. <laughs> it certainly does. It's a, that is a, yeah, that's a very St Kilda stat that you, you're in the top four, you keep winning well and you drop. But H, what have you got? Um, I'm getting on the board the playing multiple games away. We're not coming home. It's, it's <laughs> we got used to the, um, I guess we were all away for pretty much most of 2020, but yeah, we've sort of, I guess it harks back to the talking about Port Adelaide before, but when we go up to Canberra and then we continue on to Cairns, um, it, it, yeah, it's a bit of a strange one that we then come back and play an away game at the MCG as well. So it's a, I'm sort of thinking, okay, when, when, when are we actually going to come back home again? It's getting a bit, getting a bit out of the, out of sorts at the moment. So it'd be nice to, at the moment would be so, so secure that we would actually win all three of those, but <laughs> um, more we would, yeah, get a road trip like that and come back with nothing and three and going, oh yeah, that, that, that that's what's ruined our year. We've been on the road forever and it's, it's really hurt us, but yeah, but to be, We've got one uh, one from one so far. Let's, let's let's have a so St Kilda that we can actually get all three in three in a row. Having having to go from one of the coldest places in the country mm. to one of the warmest places in the country in the space of seven or eight days is also also a bit rough, but yeah, it is what it is. At least they gave us eight days in between, which was uh, which was nice of them. But yeah, I mean, it's very St Kilda that we would have the toughest draw in the comp um, on the back of having the toughest draw in the comp. Uh, it's also very St Kilda that the two sides that didn't finish top four that we have to play twice are Sydney, who are probably the second or third best team in the comp, and Fremantle, who are also in the top four. So um, I guess it was always going to fall that way, but we'll uh, we'll see what, what does eventuate. Even I think we've got Hawthorne twice, and, and they've improved as well. But uh, Kangaroos and, and Gold Coast and, and teams like that twice wouldn't be too bad. Although you never know who's going to be good or, or bad. I mean, Essendon have, have bombed it a bit early in the year like they, they normally do. But, um, yeah, it's, it's always difficult. Um, we turn our attention to the... Uh, Jason Blake Award for the underrated performer of the week. Um, Nick, do you want to kick that one off first? Again, we've got a lot of unsung heroes. We do. And I think the, the obvious ones, you know, we, we kind of talked about Dougal Howard and, and his performance on the weekend. We, we've spoken about Cal Wilkie a fair bit. Obviously, Dan McKenzie is probably now rated fairly, given he's been so underrated, but now we're all talking about him. So he's probably not that underrated anymore. Um, one this week that I think kind of never really gets the plaudits that he deserves is, is Tim Membry. Um, I know over the, his, his time at St Kilda, he's been one of you know the key forwards and, and he's, he's potentially been the man in the forward line for a while, at least since, since uh, Nick Rewalt retired. But um, with the development of, of Max King, I think Membry's kind of taken a little bit of a step back. He's, he's not in the spotlight as often. We don't look for him as often, but he just does such important work and such, he, he's, he's a very clever footballer. He knows when to get around the ground. He knows when to lead. He knows when to, you know, when to push Max to lead. He, he knows when to get back. Um, and I think that he does a lot of on-field leadership, on-field coaching, and, and just one percenters that you don't often notice that maybe they're off camera, they're off screen, uh, a lot of hard running, 
And I think he's just a, a wonderful leader for our football club in, in the forward half of the ground um, and just doesn't seem to get the, the plaudits that, that he deserves. Yeah, so I'll go, I'll go off field with this one this week. Um, uh, something I saw during the week, I was like, that's actually quite a good call. In our coaching ranks, Corey Enright's came in and changed the way we play our game. It, it's, I don't know how or what he has done, but he seems to have got the group working really well together. And as I said, I saw one person talk about it and a few other people were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, 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 coaches don't ever get that credit, I don't think. So like Rats gets the credit for the team winning and he faces up the press conferences and that, but it, you, you just don't see those assistant coaches working behind the scenes. And I think if anything, Enright's had probably one of the biggest impacts on the team over the off season. Yeah, I think that's certainly a fair call. Um, mine would be probably a, a double hit in that these two guys probably will, will get a lot more recognition. But out of the victory on Friday night, there was obviously a lot of talk around Higgins and the bravery of battle and, and the midfield group. But they didn't dominate. But you, you mentioned it a little bit, Nick, earlier. But I thought the two kids in the last quarter, not just Windhager, but Wangadine Malera, I thought their best quarter for the day for both of them was their last quarter, tackle pressure, Windhager's clearance work, Wanganine Malera's ball use. Not huge nights, but that's another sign of their development. The game was on the line. We were tiring. We had limited rotations. And I thought they both played a pretty significant role in the in the last quarter and us holding it up. So um, I think the contribution of those two kids, not lost in the washout, but... Um, Probably would have got a bit more attention if not for the the clear headlights, you know, highlights of, of some of the other players that really did stand up for us. So um, I'd like to acknowledge that because um, obviously when the chips were, were down, they were there for us, which was which was really good to see. Um, the uh, I almost said Dan Butler Award, which is a bit of a Freudian slip. The Shannon Knoll Award for uh, for those who who need to to lift. Uh, coming out of uh, out of that game, H, do you want to uh, do you want to kick it off? You've already said it. Um, <laughs> I, I think he's got. I think he's probably got a week left. He, he's probably lucky that we are actually going into state in another week and staying away. Um, Billings is back playing VFL this week. Jones is back playing VFL this week. There's probably two positions that we have to make. And at the moment, you look down the list of what we got. And he's probably probably at the bottom of the list at the moment. Um, you feel like so like he came in and really took off, but then we've got Jack Higgins in, and I think Jack's well and truly passed him. He's just left him in his dust. Um, and I think yeah, he, he might be in a bit of trouble if he doesn't yeah, if he doesn't come in and have a big game this week. I think he could find himself back in the VFL the following week. It's it's an interesting one. I, I feel like having watched Dan Butler a lot more closely over the last few weeks, I feel like we're maybe a little bit harsh on Dan Butler. I, I don't know what the what the difference has been, but I feel like he's maybe playing a bit of a different role um, where it's not about him. You know, in, in 2020, it was about him getting out the back and and getting on the handball at the top of the square and banging it through. And, and now it's more he, he's more of a provider. He's more a supplier. He's, he's playing a bit higher. 
Um, he's running a bit harder. He's certainly still doing the effort things. He's, he's not hitting the scoreboard as much as we'd like. I, I completely accept that, but maybe that's not his role anymore as, especially as you know, we rely more on, on King and Higgins and Higgins is a very different small forward to, to Dan Butler. Um, but I certainly have, have liked the way that Butler's gone about it from an effort and energy perspective. I, I like the way that he, he seems to have gotten smarter um, in the way that he, I guess, moves around the forward 50 and the way that he delivers the ball to, to others rather than always blazing away you know, from the boundary line. I think we would have expected last year and in previous years that you know, Butler uh, runs onto a loose ball you know, deep in the pocket that he just blazes away and, and whatnot. But now you see him kind of lower his eyes a little bit and, and try and hit someone up at the top of the square or, or center it or, or whatever. So I don't know. I, I'm, a, I'm in two minds because I agree, H I'd love to see him hitting the scoreboard. And, you know, when you're in the team as a forward, you know, that that's kind of got to be your job and it's got to be your role. But I, I'm wondering if maybe he's being given a different role by the coaching staff, but a, a little bit controversially, I guess maybe this is the most controversial Shannon Noll award that we've had so far, but I'm going to say Jack Higgins and you touched on it earlier, H those moments, Darren, you've spoken about it in the last few weeks about this award, but it comes down to moments when you've won five on the five on the bounce and you're, you're five and one. Um, it comes down to moments. I think everyone's playing their role pretty well and it, there's no real passengers in, in the side, but it comes down to moments. And those two moments in the first quarter on Friday night, Jack Higgins from the top of the square trying to kick the shit out of the ball and kick the leather off it. There's no need for it. There's absolutely no need for it. This is this is bread and butter stuff for a, a goal kicker. And then a couple of minutes later, you know, you, you're 15, 18 metres out, 20 metres out, whatever it is, and you go around the corner and, again, try and kick the leather off off it and try and kick yourself in the in the head at the same time. And it's like, why, why are you doing it? Just settle yourself, go back and kick the goal. It's like the easiest kick in your career is to just go back and kick straight. And he just tries to do a bit too much. He tries to kick it too hard. Um and just tries to do a little bit of the, the pretty stuff. He's, he's a wonderful player. I, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, he's been an absolute star over the last month um, and he's not doing a lot wrong, but if he clears up a few of these things, like if he kicks those two goals and this game is over at halftime and we're not talking about being concerned in the last couple of minutes, you know, we kind of walk GWS off the park at halftime and, and it's game over and you kind of put the cue back in the rack and, and settle in for, for next week against Port. But um you know, didn't end up that way. And and you, you mentioned earlier, Darren, about um, Max King and, and his misses. And I think people concentrate on the mm. score and the 1-7, but majority of those were actually pretty tough kicks, like, right. you, like you mentioned, whereas Jack Higgins, those two misses in the first quarter from the top of the goal square, directly in front, your very slight angle from 20 metres out, it, he's got to kick those. Yep, and he's, he's shown a capacity to learn. Obviously, when he took that late mark and gave it to Crouch, he, he fed the player in a better position, which he yep. hasn't always done. And that's what a lot of this is about. As we said, we, we mentioned Ben Patton, who gave away those free kicks against Hawthorne. Dougal Howard, who was playing well, but could turn the ball over. It's just little things like that that obviously you want to fine-tune and, and make sure that if you're playing the top sides in the competition, that you're nailing every one of those moments. So spot on. I mean, he's been sensational, but... You know, there's two goals that absolutely should have been kicked, and with and concentration, that, yeah, that's what good teams do. You know, you look Correct. at look at those teams, whether it's Hawthorne or Geelong or Brisbane or whatever, and the discipline to go back and do the do the thing that you're meant to do, 
Mm. they've all got it all those great teams have it and if we want to be a great team then you've got to go back and, and do those things now, one that i'll mention for mine and it's just i guess to ensure that he keeps his place in the side i think he's important to us and, and i've mentioned a few weeks ago he probably got into the into the jason blake awards um he, he did some second ruck work on the weekend as we we mentioned um played very well against Richmond, but probably just his ball winning is a little bit down in the last three weeks, and that's Mason Wood. I think he's got 11, 12, and 9 in, in possessions. Uh, he's, a, he's still a good player, and I think he's going to hold his spot at least for the time being, but with guys like Hunter Clark who can play that role, Jack Billings who can play that role, Zach Jones who can play that role, coming back, he's one guy that would just want to be a little bit careful. Um yeah, I like the role he plays in the team, but he probably needs to do just a fraction more in terms of getting the footy if he's going to make sure he stays in there when the players come back. So he would be my shout for uh, for this week, Mason Wood. But that'll do us for this week. Hopefully we reconvene. It's a, you know always a tricky little banana peel when you head north to Cairns. Port Adelaide have made the last two prelims. They're not mugs. They've had a poor season, but you know percentage of 95 suggests they're competitive. But we've had a, a much better season than they are. We look in pretty good shape. So... Uh, fingers crossed we can tick another box and uh, move that assault towards Melbourne next week and, and reconvene with six in a row. Go Saints.